and welcome to Geeks with Shields, your home for all things good and nerdy in this The Darkest Timeline. I'm Lord Trender Ork, and with me as always is... His shield brother, Axel Wright. How's it going today, Axel? Uh, I had a really stressful day earlier dealing with some family stuff that the audience doesn't need to know about, but I went grocery shopping, came home, watched uh, Wired put out a new accent technique video where this guy who's a dialect coach goes through you know various movies and stuff and talks about what people do right what people do wrong very fun series it's like episode seven or something like that and i'm in a much better mood now i'm gonna have to watch it that sounds interesting all righty then well we're going to start every episode the same way we start every episode as always by thanking our wonderful wonderful patrons those people that make this whole crazy endeavor possible they are pam galley marky orion mccann chris chipman river galley and krug now if you're like wow that was awesome. I want my name set on the podcast. Well, here's what you do. You head on over to patreon.com. You go to forward slash geeks with shields and you click become a patron. It only costs you 25 cents an episode and it goes a long way towards helping us make this podcast week to week. And being up to seven names, I'm putting my money down on we get to probably 25 names for Ulrich gives up on it. I want to see us get there. All right. Well, we've got a big episode. So we brought on a special guest, Chris Chipman. Welcome to the show. Hey guys, how's it going? Happy to be back. So this is one we've been planning for a while, and I think it's safe to say we've all been looking forward to this. This is the Spielberg Smackdown. So for those of you at home wondering what does that mean, we have a list with every Spielberg movie ever directed. Not produced, not written. We talked about it. Poltergeist was ruled not applicable. And then we kind of went through and we're going to pick which ones we want to fight for. The end goal being, if there were only one Spielberg movie left in existence, which one would it be? Are you ready, gentlemen? Yeah. <laughs> I think I was born ready. All right, let's do this. We are starting with Jaws, which I will be fighting for. Next up is Raiders of the Lost Ark, which I will also be fighting for. We have Jurassic Park, which I'll be fighting for. E.T., which Chris will be fighting for. <laughs> Last Crusade, which I'll be fighting for. Hook, which I'll be fighting for. Sorry, I lost you guys for a second there. This is Chris. Oh, no worries. We got uh, our technical things dealt with. Uh, anyway, I'll, I'll be fighting for Hook. Well, among other things. Twilight Zone, any claimers? Not me. All right, then. Unfortunately, Twilight Zone has been deleted from history. What a pity. Temple of Doom. Come on, somebody take Temple of Doom. I'm an active denouncer of Temple of Doom, so by principle, I can't defend it. Oh, bye-bye, Temple of Doom. The Color Purple. It's a sad movie. That's all I remember. Nobody's taking Color Purple. All right. Schindler's List. I will fight for this one. I'm looking forward to the arguments. Anyone else? Awesome. I'll, I'll add myself to that list. I mean, I'm uh, not against it, so <laughs> just just go on. <laughs> Saving Private Ryan. I'm definitely going to be doing this one. Also, for anyone out there wondering, we didn't all sit down and do this at once. Basically, we put up the list. Ulrich picked his first. I picked mine second. Chris picked his third. We didn't decide that. That's just how it broke down. So, for instance, the one that I actually want to be, quote-unquote, the winner is one Ulrich already chose. But I decided to choose some other ones just for funsies. So... Anyone joining me with Saving Private Ryan? Nope. I don't think right, you need to me. write it down, man. If someone's defending it for now, we just move on. Let's get the get yeah, the no wants off the right. list. Uh, Lincoln. The I'm fighting for Lincoln. You're going to fight for Lincoln? Uh, the Lost World. Yes. No. 
I'm going to say a strong no to The Lost World. I kick people out of my car who like The Lost World. <laughs> I think The Lost World should have been deleted from history a long time ago. AI. I will fight for AI till the end of time. Ready Player One. I will fight for Ready Player One till the end of the next round of this discussion. The BFG, a.k.a. The Big Friendly Giant. Didn't see it, so... Crystal Skull. Boo! See what I said about Temple of Doom? Repeat that here. The Terminal. I actually like the terminal quite a bit, so I, I, yeah, I'll defend that. War of the Worlds. You know, I I don't think it'll make it past another round, but go ahead and put me there just because it's interesting to kind of talk about. War Horse. No takers for War Horse. Nope, nope. I feel like this should almost be visible. I'm like imagining the, the whole Coliseum thumbs up, thumbs down thing. <laughs> Bridge of Spies. I didn't see it, so. It's actually really good, but it doesn't have to be on there. Same with the post. Bridges Spies and the Post are in the same category for me. They're they're good, but they're not winning this. Wasn't the Post very like Oscar baity? Super Oscar baity. Minority Report. I put my name next to this, didn't I? Yes, yeah. yes, you did. Could I hope I hope I did because it's staying. Catch me if you can. Ditto. Close Encounters of the Third Kind. As well. Munich. Not me. Adventures of Tintin. I really am looking forward to talking about this one. 1941. Got nothing. Empire of the Sun. Always. Amistad. It's just a, a whole run of movies we all care about, isn't it? <laughs> I don't, I've never even heard of most of these now. Amblin? Duel. I'm going to add my name in for Duel right now. All right. And last but not least, Sugarland Express. Okay. That means now that we've got all the ones that we have nothing to say out, and we could have less uh, uh, open air. That's the term. <laughs> All right, let's start from the top. Jaws. Um, I think Jaws is a lot better than a lot of the movies remaining on this list. It created the uh, Hollywood blockbuster. It's got some great lines. Smile, you son of a bitch. You're going to need a bigger boat. And I think it's largely responsible for Axel's fear of the ocean. Not at all. <laughs> What's responsible for my fear of the ocean is uh, the most extreme on Animal Planet. I saw Jaws when I was very young and didn't care. Interesting. I mean, now I respect Jaws as a movie, but when I was young, it was too slow for my brain to really latch on to anything. But that's part of what I enjoy about it as an adult. I loved Jaws as a kid. I was afraid to pop up in pools, though. My father, um, on Wednesday nights, my mother used to work bingo at the uh, school my brother and I went to. And my dad would rent movies that we shouldn't see. And we'd watch them with, with us. And, you know, we'd We'd watch things like Cheech and Chong's Up in Smoke, um, Animal House, stuff like that. And Jaws, I probably was four or five years old when I saw it the first That's time. That's about how old I was. And J- I was afraid Jaws was going to jump out of the toilet. I was so freaking afraid of this damn movie. And yeah. um, it is tied um, with my favorite movie of all time. Jaws and Ghostbusters are the top of my list. Um, so uh, does that mean I got we got a... Two-thirds majority vote here to keep Jaws in for this round? I mean, you got all three because Jaws is great. I Jaws and Ghostbusters being your favorite movie is good. It's good picks. Yes, it doesn't, uh, I, it I doesn't think... necessarily mean I think it's the last Spielberg movie to live forever. We're going to find out as we talk through this. But um, it has to go on to the next round. Well, opinion. we can say again, I mean, one of the reasons we have conversations like this is there's, there's a distinction between – a personal favorite and something you objectively think is important or influential. Like my favorite movie of all time is SLC punk. I don't think it's better than. Oh, hell yeah. 
yeah, it's not better than most of the movies on this list, but I have such a personal connection to it that it is my favorite. So, all right, let's move on to Raiders of the Lost Ark, a movie oh. I watched so much as a kid. I love Raiders, but I want to add one more thing about Jaws, which is just as someone who has thalassophobia, I think it's hilarious that I'm with two. I'm talking to people, people who are afraid of sharks. I'm afraid of the ocean, and sharks are not even on my top list of reasons I'm afraid of the ocean. Like, I'm f- way more afraid of jellyfish and whales than I am of sharks, which I think is odd, but eh, fear's not always rational, right? Anyway, Raiders, it's amazing. Are you afraid of Nazis, though? You should always be afraid of Nazis, and you should always there cheer when go. a Nazi gets punched. Yeah, uh, Raiders. I watched this movie a lot as a kid, and I don't remember how many times I watched that ending through my fingers. Absolutely melting nazis all day long man oh well, it's oh it's terrifying and that the the see the fight on the airport with the big german guy plus indy have, told you to have, cover your eyes so have either of you guys yeah I, I you're right i honestly thought the wrath of god was going to kill me when i was little if i didn't cover my eyes um have you guys ever seen the indiana jones um remake the raiders of the lost ark remake that fan film yeah yeah they have you seen it yeah yeah. It's oh, great. we should we should talk about that another time. That thing's fantastic. Anyway, Raiders so stays Raiders in my is safe. Yeah, Raiders is safe. Totally safe. All right. Uh, Jurassic Park, a childhood favorite because motherfucking dinosaurs. You know, my girlfriend, she um has had nightmares for years about T Rexes because of this movie. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh at that, but it's like when we started playing Monster Hunter together, I was like, "Hey, go kill the Anginath, fight your fear," which is basically. a big t-rex in that game uh i i think jurassic park definitely is i think it's interesting that jurassic park's cg still looks as good if not better than a lot of cg we see today like it's just so perfect you know yeah no that movie is not only held up incredibly well the score i mean just the score alone gets your heart thumping i absolutely love jurassic park but um my my stance on talking about a list of spielberg movies and I know this already has a two-thirds majority from you two, so my thoughts mean nothing, but I figure chiming in is um, is the important part and the reason we're doing this. If you're going to have a Spielberg list and there's movies that start paralleling each other, um, for me, um, you have to keep Jaws or Jurassic Park, and you can't keep them both. Um, and my reasoning for that is as we start deducing, as we start knocking Spielberg movies away, Jurassic Park is the continuation of jaws spielberg calls it you know his jaws on land that's what he always referred to jurassic park as and he always hoped and was happy that the um production wasn't as much of a disaster as jaws was um but to me there is no jurassic park without jaws so if i have to work that way and i had to keep one of them if i had to choose right now i would choose to drop jurassic park and that's just my stance and, you know, I think that's very compelling. And since the end game kind of result of this conversation is supposed to be to find one movie, I will, I agree. Like, I, I wanted to give it a go because, again, you know, dinosaurs, super important, gold bloom, very meme creating movie. But if, if our point is only one movie can exist, I like Chris's argument. So I will also not give it a vote. All right. So Jurassic Park goes out early. Didn't see that coming. I will add one more thing about Jurassic Park. Just, um for people that haven't gotten a chance, especially if you're young enough to have not seen it in its first theatrical run um, and missed it um, in its 3D theatrical run. Jurassic Park is the quintessential movie that's designed 
to be seen in a movie. So if you have a chance to see it in a movie theater, it is one of the best movie going experiences. And I missed it, even though I was nine years old when it came out. I was dead nuts, like the perfect demographic. And I was too terrified by the trailers to go and see it. And so I didn't get to see it till it was re-released in 3D. And oh man, was it worth it. You know, I, I love my mom to let me go see Jurassic Park and she said it was too scary. So I love there's a concept that Chris just touched on that I've I've loved to kind of muse on for years, which is movies that d- need to be seen in different kind of formats or at least deserve to. So like the last time I saw a comedy on the big screen, I think was Tag, which was admittedly like last year, but it's a very rare thing. Generally speaking, if I'm going to spend, you know, like a full price or, you know, approach full price, go see something on the big screen. I want it to be something that benefits from being on the big screen. And Jurassic Park does fit the bill for that, certainly. Okay. All right. Chris, defend the turd alien. E.T., extraterrestrial. He's a turd. He turns you know, white in the sun. You know, turd alien. You guys are very, or at least you're very mean to E.T., Elric. Um, so, E.T., E.T., when I was really little, when I saw it for the first time on a bootlegged VHS because you couldn't get E.T. at home on VHS. In fact, I think the first Steven Spielberg movie you could actually buy on VHS close to its theatrical release was Jurassic Park, and it took like two years for it to come out. You could only rent it. It was so weird the way they used to handle that. Um, E.T. terrified me when I was little. Um, it's a, it's a sad, scary little movie for a young kid. It touches on emotions that I think, um, have been unmatched in Spielberg movies since, um, the, the childishness of, and how real the children are in that movie versus how real the circumstances and the fear and the horror that they're put in the middle of, um, the fact that, you know, this alien just happens to be nice, but we don't necessarily know if the ones from its home planet are. And, you know, the kind of thought in my head is when they come back, are they going to come back and just start killing these kids? You know, well, yeah, but you know, th- there's a, there's a humanity to ET and watching it on Blu-ray. I've never seen it in the theater and it does have that horrible pedigree of that. Even Spielberg has shit on um, where George Lucas convinced him to do a re-edit of it when he was doing the special editions of star Wars which if you've never been blessed to see this, never watch it. It will, it will really hurt your view of the movie and everyone involved because they massacre it. And it's the main reason why Spielberg um, didn't go ahead with doing it the same thing to Jaws. He was originally going to do a CGI shark and replace a lot of the practical effects and dropped it after how terrible E.T. came out. But um, E.T. is very special to me. E.T., is it my favorite movie ever made? No. Is it my favorite Spielberg movie ever made? No. But I think it's the most quintessential Spielberg movie. I think it's the most personal Spielberg movie. I think the first time since E.T., I've really seen him try to recapture the Spielbergness, you know, the, the House Spielbergian kind of gag of, you know, the, the raw emotion, the people looking at lights and things. Um, he really hasn't hit that so stereotypically until Warhorse, and in Warhorse, it's just so heavy-handed that it feels almost like it's a parody of a Spielberg movie. Um, E.T. E. just it, it to me is him, and um, you know, do I think it's going to make it through to the end? No, um, but I can't, I can't think of his filmography. I can't think of the guy without having E.T. be there right alongside Jaws to me. So that's why E.T. stays. 
right. I I feel like I I definitely under. First of all, I want to say that I was terrified of ET growing up as well. But what is different. wrong with you two? No, I wasn't terrified of ET the creature. I was, oh, it was the lot. guys in suits. There is a lot wrong with. It was the government agents in in like the full hazmat suits and the way that's lit and those scenes of them were freaking scary to me. Go like, back I was, and watch Raiders a couple more times. Toughen up, Buttercup. Hey, I'm the one who's not afraid of Jaws here, so you shut up. <laughs> it's a man-eating uh, shark. That's worth being afraid of. Men in the suits. Government, so the government is scarier than a shark. I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway. I agree. The government can't eat me. That's what you think. Uh, so E.T., my thoughts are E.T. is one of those things that is foundational. Like so much has been either a homage to or a build upon or a criticism of that. It's one of those movies that like with Jaws, we mentioned before, so many movies and stories exist only because E.T. exists. And while as a movie itself, I find it doesn't hold up as well for me as something like Raiders does, for instance, I think because of that foundational aspect of it, I will give it a vote as well. All right. I guess I'll save my arguments for the next round. E.T. gets to carry on. All right. Last Crusade. Um, Sean Connery. Tanks. Hitler. Need I say more? Yes, because this brings up the same issue with the Jurassic Park versus Jaws question. So the real question comes up. Normally, I would instantly go with, well, Raiders came out first, so it's the first one in the series. Thus, it stands alone better as a movie than whatever its sequels are. But Last Crusade's an interesting exception to this kind of rule. I feel like Last Crusade does stand up really well as its own separated from Raiders. So I can't... I don't know what an experience for someone who's only seen Last Crusade and hasn't seen Raiders would be, but I'd be really curious to what that looks like, you know? I'd argue Last Crusade's a almost a better starting point because you get informed of the character of Indy a lot more. You learn the origins of his whip, you learn the snake. I mean, yeah, Raiders has an awesome, you know, fight scene with a plane, but Last Crusade has an awesome fight scene with a tank. I would argue though that those reveals only matter as much as they do because you've seen them in Raiders. Like if you go into last, that's why I'm saying, I don't know what it'd be like, but if you went to last crusade, never having seen Raiders, then that opening scene with uh, young Indy, while a good action piece in itself, like the falling into snakes would just be creepy. It wouldn't also be a, Oh, this is where Indy's fear of snakes comes from. Uh, and, you know, I'd argue rhythm. it pays off later when you watch Raiders. He's like, Oh, okay. I remember he fell into a pit of snakes as a kid. That works. And again, Sean Connery's playing his dad and he keeps calling him junior and it's hilarious. Yes, but by your own argument there, its enjoyment is partially based off of the existence of another movie, meaning that it doesn't stand alone as, as well by that by that argument. I mean. I'd argue it does because you can cut off the whole opening, you know, bit, or you're not having reference to that. It's still indie being indie, you know, seeking holy relics, fighting Nazis, that whole, I mean, come on. Yes, Jaws and Raiders have lots of great lines, but I'd argue Last Crusade has you have chosen poorly, and I can show that to my kid, you know, a lot easier without fear of scarring them than I can Raiders. I mean, the worst thing that happens in Last Crusade is Indy and his dad share a lady. Uh, well, there's also the horrifying guy turns into a keeper of the crypt kind of scene. But I mean, my point is, I'm a little, I'm a little iffy on it because I think I like Last Crusade more as a movie, but I don't know if it stands alone as well. Right, which I normally I wouldn't say obviously no because of sequel. But I think Last Crusade is interesting as a as a uh, argument. So, Chris, what do you think? We dismissed Temple of Doom very quickly, which which I agree with. Um, 
because it's definitely the weakest and has the most wrong with it from a uh, um, thematic and racial and everything else standpoint. Um, but you can't really talk about more than one Indiana Jones movie without talking about it. So, you know, Spielberg and Lucas came up with Indiana Jones kind of based on like the old radio series, right? That That's the idea. And Temple of Doom, I feel, is the most like one of those. And that could be why it's the weakest as a as a film, um, necessarily because it's the silliest, it's the most over the top, it's the most cartoonish. Um, but I always felt that Last Crusade was like the perfect melding of those tones and themes. Like it had the serious and relevant historical stuff that Raiders of the Lost Ark had, but it played up more the um the uh it, it played up more the supernatural aspect of it, should you say. Um right up to the point where you can have, you know, these like guards of the Holy grail that live forever and are there to protect it. Um, all those tests. And I really love the tie in with, you know, Indiana Jones's dad being Sean Connery and it almost makes it feel like in a different world, it could be a spiritual successor, even though it takes place earlier in time to James Bond. Like there's some bits in last crusade that feel very James Bondish. Um, and to me, I still, I still stand by my jaws in Jurassic park thing where, you can only really have one Indiana Jones movie on this list. And I think I might enjoy watching last crusade more than I enjoy watching Raiders of the lost Ark, but Raiders of the lost Ark is the more important movie to stay in my opinion. So it sounds like Chris is out. I'm in Axel. Are you ready to vote out last crusade or you want to give it another round? Well, so, okay. So can you give me, I'm curious, Chris, you can give me, uh, you spent a lot of that diatribe talking about why, Last Crusade is enjoyable, and I agree with everything. But you ended by saying that you think Raiders is more important. So, can you elaborate on that a bit? Like, if we're having this theoretical alternate universe where Raiders doesn't exist and Last Crusade does, do we get the same kind of can Can Last Crusade, in addition to being a better, like a more enjoyable movie, as I feel and you said you feel, could it also substitute as a theoretical well substitute for Raiders in this alternate universe? I mean. That's a really good question. I think it could. It's definitely as iconic for the character of Indiana Jones as Raiders is. It um it does this cool thing where it does some prequel stuff with Indy being younger that doesn't actually negate anything we've seen already, which is an impossible feat that both Lucas and Spielberg haven't pulled off in other things that they've done that almost only comes off as being kind of silly and winky if you've already seen Raiders. Whereas in Last Crusade, if I think like you two just elaborated to, if you see it first, it kind of pays off if you get to see Raiders again. But I I worry that in Last Crusade, Indy has to share too much screen time with other characters. Um, and I'm not saying that as saying that it's what happens with the sequel. Like you've kind of already established Indy. So I, I'd still kind of go for Raiders. You know, he's... He, you're you're sharing screen time with Indy and his dad and um, Elsa is her name who ends up being the bad guy but she's good and then she's bad and then she's good it, it, whatever else but um it it just expands I think on the very key very focused serious thing that Raiders does where Raiders works more as a dramatic film I think than Last Crusade and that's why I'd keep it Last Crusade is definitely more pulpy and I, I'd say we talk about the whole bond thing. I think Marion is way more uh, interesting than Elsa. Well, I mean, interesting is not the right word because Elsa is super interesting because she's a Nazi. Marion's just a 
much more fun character. I will give it the vote for now so it can pass on, but on our next pass through, we definitely got to you know, land on one, just one. And I will yeah. say this, getting, getting rid of either of the two of these is really hard for me. We're going to have to talk about some of the nitty gritty, uncomfortable bits about both movies. Cause there's some stuff in there. That's definitely of its time. Yeah. Cause I'm, I'm on the fence. I think I'm leaning towards, uh, Raiders first because of that what you talk about I think Raiders is probably more of a tight like focused story because again it's focused just mostly on indeed side characters are just that side characters but I, I need a little time to ruminate on it so my next the movie I want to yeah, I'm gonna talk about is Hook which okay Hook is by no means I think even in the same caliber of movie as like Raiders Last Crusade Jaws or E.T. I, I don't but it's it's interesting for a number of reasons that I think are important to at least talk about. Like now Disney is doing this, you know, these live action movies and the live action movies are either basically a almost shot for shot kind of remake like they did, like they tried to do with Beauty and the Beast, or there's some kind of commentary, uh, you know, reflection on one of their old stories like Snow White the Huntsman or Maleficent. And Hook kind of was the, maybe not the original, but definitely like the first one that I'm super aware of to, to do that in like as big a way as it did, you know, like, so that's just part one. I'm not a huge Peter Pan guy, but I am Peter Pan's one of those things that just cultural osmosis, you know what it is. So you can latch on to the story and hook very easily. And the idea of taking the kid who is literally defined by his inability to grow up and making a story about him grown up is goddamn brilliant already i think rob williams being basically a child in a man's body is i think perfect that's casting. robin williams come on now yeah i'm not saying it's an insult I, I no 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 i'm just saying you hit the nail on his head i mean robin williams is a man and as a child in a man's body that's a very if you had to describe robin williams as someone who never knew him that's probably one of the easiest ways to go i and and then there's dustin hoffman as uh, as hook right dustin hoffman i'm from remembering that correctly yep, that's right uh, he's hamming it up who, and he's awesome i i still that scene of him uh telling smee to stop him from shooting himself is one of my favorite bits of like that joke because that's an old uh like abbott and costello kind of bit right there but that version of it is one of my favorites i've seen on film and it's it's a very it's definitely got that Spielbergian element of you know talking about essentially like the you know the inner child and awe and wonder kind of thing it's literally caked into the narrative uh, you know about someone who has to literally find their inner child in order to save the day but also reconcile that with his responsibilities as an adult with his kids it's like i find it to be a very complex narrative to be tackled by something that's so light so i think that you know the only weakness i see in hook really as a movie is basically everything to do with tinkerbell is kind of problematic and and frustrating but ron williams is so great hoffman's so great uh, the the I love the performances. I love the concept of the story. I love the world. I love how the um the pirate town looks like a like a theater production. Like it just kind of makes sense to me, considering that I've always felt like Neverland was constructed this kind of way. So to 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 get that feel and that tonality into an actual live action setting without just having curtains is really neat. So anyway, that's my kind of defense while also acknowledging you know faults <laughs> oh, no, so I, I love i love hook uh it's one of my earliest memories is watching this movie with my family i get happy thinking about this movie um 
I will probably fight this one in later rounds just because of my nostalgia and love for this movie. And it's just so pure and good and innocent. And we lost Robin Williams. And this is such distilled Robin Williams in a lot of ways. So I, I, I don't have anything else to say. Hook is a giant guilty pleasure for me. Um, everything that you guys just hit on um, is so true. I Hook came in this weird time period where... You know, Robin Williams, while he's great in this movie, he really is great. He was kind of in a bunch of movies all at the same time where we all have a very strong remembrance of them as being great. And they are like, you got this Jumanji Jr., not Jr., Jack, sorry. Are all these movies Robin Williams was in that he wasn't trying to be as funny then. Like you think, oh, Robin Williams in a movie like this, you're going to get Mork from Ork in there bouncing off the walls. and Part of the greatness, I feel, of Hook and his role in Hook is that he plays the majority of the movie as a jerk who has to relearn how to be a kid. And it's such a weird thing. It's kind of the same with Jumanji. Jumanji is a very straightly played role for a Robin Williams movie. And I found my only real problem with Hook, and I think the thing that bothered a lot of people that I've noticed more as I grew up, is Hook has very conflicting tones to it like you said i love i absolutely love the set design hook and it's one of the last movies of its kind that were really in a time period where they still had to do everything as those big sets it, it had just such a fully realized visual aesthetic where it, it wasn't going for realistic like you said it was going for storybookish um, theatrical play even the stuff in england when they pan up to the sky at night kind of looks made like crafted by hand rather than being a CGI, you know, perfect look. Um, and I just love that about it. But the movie's also very dark. And it's a, I can see Disney having problems with it when they made it. And I can see it got kind of, you know, advertised wrong. I ended up losing a ton of money because Hook, Hook is nasty. And Dustin Hoffman is definitely playing like a, a harder, like PG-13 version of a character. The kids, you know, brutally violent things happen to them i mean freaking rufio gets run through for christ's sakes um you know and so it tonally like as a kid i loved it because it's like oh man this stuff can be brutal looking back at it as an adult it felt like the movie had a little bit of um schizophrenia about what it really wanted to be um maybe it was something cynical in spielberg at the time where he was fighting with that adult versus kid thing as well um but I, I really would like to see Hook go on to the next round. It is definitely not the best Spielberg movie ever made, but it means a lot to me, and I think we can say a lot about it. Yeah, and that's all I wanted because I was like, to give it, it's, it's, I feel like it's the kind of movie that's easy for a modern audience to, to write off, you know, because of what it is. But it, like, I, I think I could even come up with a way to defend said schizophrenic tone, but I definitely see where you're we're going from. But it sounds like we all agree. And go on to the next round at least okay uh schindler's list anyone want to try and tackle this one who um i mean i'm gonna say that while i do not enjoy schindler's list i'm gonna put that up front right now it's definitely a movie that i feel like i don't enjoy it for exactly the reasons i'm supposed to not enjoy it like it's an important movie that's meant to make you feel a level of horror and sadness that spielberg at the time felt was important for people not to forget so you know, in our current age of Holocaust deniers, I think it's particularly important, 
Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll circle back around to this one at some point. I'm looking forward to that one, but uh, I cannot, in good conscience, kick Schindler's List off in the first round. I, I agree. Schindler's List has to stay, and it's going to be a tough conversation if it has to drop away because it's again it it's that it's that quintessential Spielberg thing where he found one of the harshest things that's ever happened in history, something so emotionally resonant to him. And found the story that strangely has an uplifting message to it to talk about in there. And it, it, it's going to be so hard. But yeah, Schindler's List stays for now. All right. Uh, opposite end of the spectrum, similar time period. Saving Private Ryan. Um, I will argue that opening sequence alone means it should get through this round. Uh, that is brutal and visceral and strangely awesome. All right. Here's I just real quick. I'm going to say like of some things need to to go i think saving private ryan is really my my dad uh or the closest thing i had to a father it was his favorite movie so i experienced it pretty young and yeah that opening sequence is i've i've heard i'm sure you both have heard that actual people who were at the normandy beach said that was the most accurate representation of it they had seen so that's really important the movie that follows it i mean i love tom hanks i do but that movie it hurt me on a physical like way especially because i've got this major obsession with like loyalty and and i've got some hang-ups about crap like that like the whole scene of the guy just letting his friend get stabbed i okay i'm not it's a great movie i think it's probably an important movie but in the interest of like movement for this podcast i unless you convince me otherwise i'm not going to give it my vote just because i feel like it's it, the biggest strength is that opening scene. The rest of the story is good, but largely forgettable in comparison to it, at least for me. What about that ending, though? I mean, the ending is how do you talk? I don't, re- I don't remember the ending. <laughs> okay. Well, All right. So, so the ending, I'll, I'll let Chris take it from here. So here, here's my take. So Saving Private Ryan is one of the most visceral theatrical experiences I've ever had in my life. Um. I hadn't seen a ton of war movies up to that point and hadn't seen anything like it really on the big screen. That experience of that opening is unparalleled, in my opinion, in war films. Um, There's better war films, not many, but there are, um, particularly about that war. Um, But it's it's just, it really brings you right in. But with that said, I'm going to use the Jaws jurassic park thing here and even though schindler's list and saving private ryan are not both war films they are both about a war um that was very important historically culturally and if i take both of them i have to take the true story over the made up one that happens to have you know real stuff going on number one because anytime it, it kind of falls into the um it, to a lesser degree it falls into the patriots day allegory where they have Mark Wahlberg playing a character that's made up to take you through a situation. Um, Private Ryan, you know, it, it's unbelievable, but the rest of the movie is kind of, you know, Spielberg doing what Spielberg does, but in a war setting that happens to be way more horrific and way more brutally realistic and harsh than he usually goes. But I'm going to stick that and Schindler's list side by side with each other. And to me, if I had to pick one to stay, I'm going to pick Schindler every time. So it comes to me to make the defense for saving Private Ryan. Okay, I can do this. Um, firstly, the ending is they make it 
to where, you know, this Private Ryan, Matt Damon, is held out. And they're like, you're going back. And he says, no, I'm not. I've been fighting and dying with these guys here. I'm going to fight and die with them. And the squad loses. Like, do you know how many people we have lost, you know, getting you? You're going home. And this is when Tom Hanks' character goes, no, I, I understand, you know, loyalty to your brothers in arms and whatnot. We're going to stay and make a stand here against some Nazi tanks. Uh, fast forward, you get this awesome fight as they try and take out these tanks. It uh, ends with this big German uh, tiger rolling up on Tom Hanks, shooting at it with a Colt 45, you know, and as it closes in and lowers its gun at Tom Hanks, it explodes and a couple bombers come flying overhead and you realize they have, you know, won. Matt Damon goes up to Tom Hanks, who is dying, who this whole time we've been convinced the old guy from the beginning of the movie is Tom Hanks, even though if you do the math, it doesn't really add up. It's Matt Damon and his final dying words to Matt Damon are earn this, you know, make the most of your life, earn the sacrifice that you, you know, made, that your brothers in arms made, that your brothers made. And it's this gut punch of an ending that, you know, really just hammers home everything that they went through and it's a really great introspection into the bonds we build and very much the concept of loyalty both you know the negative and the positive in that all these guys died rescuing this guy but they ended up you know even more of them dying but the flip side of that is it was all for loyalty to his you know fellow soldiers and i'm kind of losing my train of thought here all right well here's what i want to answer that um so Saving Private Ryan and Shooting Those Lists, I think, are an interesting. I hadn't thought to compare them, but now that you brought it up, Chris, so both of them are in essence trying to convey the horrors of World War II, but in a different capacity. And I think that, at least for me, Schindler's List's uh, way of doing it is a lot more focused. It's about a very specific set of horrors and abominations that happen in this war specifically whereas saving private ryan's set of horrors as far as i can tell are a lot more generalized it's more about the horrors of war in general using this particular you know battalion in world war ii as the as the specific like vessel of getting across that concept also the nature of the horrors a lot in saving private ryan it's this visceral violence where in uh this is more like a visceral hopelessness if that makes any sense and so all that together, I agree with Chris that I think Schindler's List being the more specific to this particular war, being a more of a getting across a hopelessness rather than a visceralness, which can be misconstrued by some people as quote unquote coolness. Uh, Stephen Pratt Rand's more of a general war movie, I think. And so, yeah, and, and most of your argument seems to be, Ulrich, uh, you know, based on this like this concept of what it teaches about the soldier, which is certainly like a, an important thing, but again, it's more general than I think the importance of the speci specificity of Schindler's List. So I, I still don't give it a vote. You know, this is going to get real tough. We keep eliminating some of the softballs early on. Okay. Uh, next up Lincoln. Haven't seen this one. So hopefully one of you two have though. I'd love if Chris is arguing for a movie he's never seen. <laughs> I haven't seen it either. So I think by, default it's gonna go just because we can't vote for it but i know daniel day lewis is great and let's hear what you have to say chris so i kind of figured by default it had to go but i you know um lincoln lincoln's an interesting movie um 
one, it's yeah, it, it's a performance. Um, it's Daniel Day Lewis all day long that carries this movie. Um, but man, it's Spielberg working in a very stripped down, very subtle, very non Spielberg kind of way. Whereas, you know, we talk about Schindler and Private Ryan being, you know, big, big set pieces and big things. Lincoln is very like two characters in a room talking kind of a movie for a lot of the scenes. And it just does wonderful things with a story we all kind of know already. Um, and it really falls into, you know, Spielberg's got two settings these days where he goes and makes, you know, big bombastic, like ready player one, um, or, um, BFG kind of things, or he does these, you know, bridge of spies, the post stripped down kind of Oscar Beatty things. And of the more recent group of those, this one was my favorite. Um, it's just a powerhouse of small movie. And if anything, the anyone, even you guys gets out of hearing me talk about it is go and see Lincoln. It's really worth the time. Um, it, it, it's just a well-made, um, very good Spielberg movie. Um, and I wanted a chance to talk about it, but I don't have an issue with it dropping out. Of this movie. Yeah, I'll keep it just cause, uh, Daniel day Lewis performance. And it, I'm not, I'm not rushing to, you know, get down to the hard ones. If we can keep a couple easy ones in here, I'll take that over having to argue against Schindler's List. <laughs> I I love Daniel Day-Lewis in general. I, I know that uh, he's crazy. I know I've heard the, the horror stories of my left foot, so I'm not at all surprised that he, he care. I mean, I, I want to see it. I just I haven't, so I can't say anything. I'm surprised that they put up with this shit for my left foot. Anyway. Okay. Um. Ooh. Ooh, ooh, Chris, I want to hear this. AI, artificial intelligence. Creepy uh, Haley Joel Osment. Are you, are you sure? I want to hear <laughs> how you can defend the, what was it, Joe Blobot? Yes. And uh, I think, I think that might Rock. have actually been what he was called. Robot Chris Rock is one of my problems. Um, but we, One? We, yes. No, shush. All right. <laughs> so, so we can talk about that. So AI, for those that don't know, um, and this has nothing to do necessarily with why i defended it. it's just background into it was a stanley kubrick um stanley kubrick and steven spielberg were very good friends and they wrote the movie together and kubrick could not figure out how to end the movie um and died without ending it. so spielberg took on the task of finishing a movie that was very important to his friend um for anyone who's seen um ready player one the amazing homage to stanley kubrick's the shining in there is a perfect example of how much respect um, Spielberg had for his his friend. Um, but AI, you know, I talk about um, E.T. having some horrifying imagery for a kid. Um, AI has some bits in it that are the closest or the closest thing to horror that I've visceral horror that I've ever seen Steven Spielberg put to screen. The, the first half of the movie of the story of AI with the parents trying to imprint on their kid and the implications of a fake of an artificial intelligence child and what happens if you take away the humanity, take away the fact that that kid is going to grow old and that kid is going to biodegrade and die and add the unabashed without um, any sort of strings attached love that an artificial imprint on a human being would give. That's a horrific concept and thinking through and seeing how that's played out with the son and him being um, left behind by the family because they can't handle that. I love that half of them. Um, when you get to the flesh fair, which was a Kubrick creation and they throw in some 
comic relief involving a Chris Rock robot and a few other things that I thought was kind of silly. That's still a very horrific scene and a very amazingly Spielbergian kind of riff on the American Midwest and the South. You know, it kind of reminded me of a NASCAR race. Um, uh, and I, I really enjoyed that imagery and how that was used in a more dystopian Philip K. Dick style post-apocalyptic kind of thing. Um, the movie thematically has some problems. It has kind of the hook, hook uh, schizophrenia going on at times. Um, it's definitely struggles with being um, a Kubrick thematic movie, which happened to be more brutal and more ultra-realistic and more nightmare-fueled than Spielberg usually is. So you could see him kind of trying to water down some of that. And um, I don't know if you guys have seen it in a while, but uh, there's, you know, spoiler alerts on all these, but there's a lot of people being completely um, argumentative over what the ending of AI means. And I will say I'm the first person to say that I think the movie should have ended where Kubrick ended it originally, which was when um, the robot, a Hilly Joel Osment goes under the water and the Coney Island um, was that thing, the merry-go-round. Or what, what, do you, what do you call those things? Carousel. Yeah, carousel. No, not carousel. The, the big yeah. thing, you go up into the sky, like the Ferris island. Wheel. Ferris wheel, Ferris. sorry. Falls on him. And, and Jake just woke up, if you guys can hear it. Yeah, um, okay. Hi, Jake. Uh, they say hi. <laughs> um, I think that's a more visceral ending. And you can tell that's where Kubrick ended it. And Spielberg's little addition to that of the kid, you know, waking up and being uncovered by what people believe to be aliens. But if you look, there's a bunch of ones and zeros flowing through their body. They are the next evolution, future evolution of artificial intelligence. So the entire human race has died and these aliens are mining relics of our society, I think is a really cool ending for a movie. On top of the fact that they basically let the kid die and shut down with the corpse of his mother or the digital corpse of his mother. I find all of these themes to be much more, um, much more independent old Spielberg feeling where not all of it sticks. And I really appreciate that about the movie. I appreciate how non-standard about how not crowd pleasing it wants to be. It wants to be a lot more visceral. And, and for that, I just, I've always loved AI. Um, and I know a lot of people have a lot of problems with it, but, those are my takeaways from it. And that's why I think it's important enough to stay for the first round. I'll say this much. I agree with you. I think it's a pretty good sci-fi up until that ending. Um, it's got a lot of the beautiful visual flares of uh, Kubrick. Uh, there's definitely some haunting, creepy stuff to it. It's a really good movie, but that ending just, I understand him not knowing how to end it. I mean, 100%. That, I don't know. Uh, Haley Joel Osment's a bit creepy at points, but he's a robot kid, so I guess it works in the movie's favor. I haven't seen this movie since, I think, over 10 years. It was the last time I saw this movie. I probably should have boned up. I haven't had time recently. But I would say from what I remember, and especially from Chris's uh, explanation, I like the – well, I love any movie that deals with the philosophy of, like, what is uh, you know a person, what is humanity, what what is defining life. And I think that visceral imagery – and AI is very effective at kind of like forcing some interesting kind of feelings from someone grappling with those kind of issues. So, I, I mean, I'll give it a pass for the first round. Okay, let's move on. This one I'm curious to hear about because I 
do not no. like Ricky Ready Player Cole. One should not at all pass the first round. I am set to defend it. I'm saying it shouldn't make the first round, but I think it deserves to be mentioned because Ulrich doesn't like it at all. Uh, <laughs> oh, so that's, that's, that's the criteria? Okay, I see how it is. <laughs> well, the, the thing is that you think it's a bad movie. I do not agree with you. I think that it is you know flawed, certainly. It is very popcorny for lack of a better term it but it's it's spielberg creating well okay it's spielberg working from shitty source material i i did i read the book too so don't someone tell me you know that i don't know what i'm talking about and i enjoyed the book but it's not a good book there's a difference <laughs> um and he, he he spins something very fun out of it i mean i got to watch mobile suit gundam fight mecha godzilla and that alone is like i gotta at least give some props for that because that was like let's set off my five-year-old senses in my brain okay so <laughs> here's all i will say if we keep this one in the first round we are saying that ready player one is more deserving to stay than saving private ryan and jurassic park hey i just said it shouldn't stay the first round i'm just saying are you that voting I'm... for it or against it i'm voting against it i just wanted to still say that i enjoyed it it doesn't deserve to pass the first round, but I want to give it a proper shake because I know you were not going to. <laughs> I was going to. I've seen it. That was me giving it a fair shake. I watched this piece of shit. And me piece of shit's too much. It just, it takes, it fixes so much bad stuff from the book, but there is still so much bad stuff from the book in this movie. So I, I agree with Axel that Ready Player One should not move on, um, but I will defend Ready Player One as well. I don't want it to stick around. Um, one of my biggest things that put a smile on my face about Ready Player One was knowing that Ernie Klein, who is not a very good writer, um, I, I find the book enjoyable, but it's the biggest flaw with the book is that it's a gatekeeping book. It's, it's a guy basically saying, I'm the only one that's allowed to have all this knowledge of all of these things, and if you don't know as much as me, you don't deserve to have these things. And that's what the whole damn book is about. And I really liked watching the movie because if you guys didn't know this, Ernie Klein was one of the screenwriters. And not just because he wrote the book. He was very highly involved. Which means that in getting to which means in getting to meet someone that he basically spent an entire book masturbating about in Steven Spielberg and getting to meet this guy. And having that have a positive influence on him re-looking at his source material and changing kind of the whole point of the quest to be something way less toxic and way less weird, um, I think is cool. I, I don't think Ready Player One was a story that was ever going to be fixable fully, but it's really kind of cool and meta to get to see the guy that is one of the things that this book is idolizing kind of get to jump into that world and play with. It. You know, it would be like, kind of jumping online and playing a, like an online GTA game with the guys that created the game, you know? Um, and I find that interesting. Um, and I think Ready Player One was a blast to watch, but it is definitely low. I mean, look at this list of movies we've got, right? We just went through and got rid of Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park is one of the best monster movies ever made. Ready Player One is definitely not one of the best movies like Ready Player One ever made because there's not a whole lot of movies like Ready Player One. It's weird, it's meta, it's fan servicey, and I think he's having a blast making it, but it also felt like in the third act that it kind of got on autopilot, and that takes a lot away from it for me, but I still, I, I really enjoy it, um, but it doesn't move on. 
Exactly. And that's why I didn't even vote for it. But the, everything Chris said, I especially love how you point out how, yeah, in the book, the quest is all about gatekeeping, whereas in the movie, they change it to more like, no, the quest's purpose is teaching these people some life lessons that I myself grappled with, which has a much more of a general kind of purpose is way less. I use the word toxic and I definitely agree with that usage. And that's exactly why I wanted to at least talk about it. But yeah, we can move on. (laughs) Okay. So the terminal, I've seen this movie. I enjoyed this movie. I remember nothing about it except that uh, Tom Hanks barely speaks English for most of the movie. Here's my, okay. What I like about the movie and why I said that I would, you know, put my name next to it is I find First of all, it's based on a you know true story. Although unfortunately, that true story took a lot weirder and less interesting. Well, not less interesting, but more disappointing of a turn. But anyway, the the movie, the narrative as given in the movie about a man who's stuck in an airport terminal because his country stopped being a country while he was on the plane, and he's just stuck there for like a long. Is it a full year? Or is it longer it's than a that? While I haven't seen this movie since it came out, but I know he was stuck there for a while. Anyway, and they kept and trying to get him out of the airport. This is largely a, oddly enough, it's largely a character piece, I, I feel like, but a single, like we talked about how Lincoln is like, you know, carried on a performance by Danny Lewis. Terminal's doing something very similar with Tom Hanks as this character who can barely speak English too. Like there are other people in the airport who are trying to interact with him in one way or the other, but really it's just about like, you know, casting Tom Hanks specifically, a guy who's basically his his resume says audiences will love me. <laughs> so to get you to latch onto this guy like the second he's on screen and then just watch him go through obstacle and misery over and over again through the course of the movie is very engaging. Problem, it doesn't have a lot of memorable individual parts. Like it's it's very compelling as a narrative, and Tom Hanks' performance is very compelling. But there's not a whole lot that like stands out as uh, you know. This is a reason to you know to see this other than like those things. So I'm I want again. I, I think we can personally. I'm not even sure if I would vote for. I'll put a vote because I put my name next to it. But it's not like a huge deal to me. You know, I just wanted to mention it. Yeah, I'm gonna vote against it just because I watched it once and I've never thought about it since then. And if we're arguing like. We can only keep one Spielberg movie. A movie I have not thought about since I saw it. It ain't going to last. Um, and Agreed. it's only telling an important story. Agreed. Okay, we can move on then. War of the Worlds. Uh, this is going right. to be interesting. I'm going to make it quick. This one should go because it's it's very... But it, it's like when you were recreating War of the Worlds, uh, it, you know, you're, you're kind of in a no-win situation, I think. Uh, I find that the the extremely dark tone they went with uh, is very fitting for the story. Uh, I find the you know the, the ship designs very neat. I think that Tom Cruise's craziness in the last few years has kind of overshadowed that he actually is a very capable actor when given proper material to work with. And I feel like in this movie he's not anywhere near the top of his game, but he's certainly doing a passable job. And I, you know, I got emotionally attached to the family, but it does make a lot of weird decisions uh, that are problematic. I, I will say that the, the scene of Tom Hanks dealing with the guy going crazy and making noise, like haunted my nightmares for quite a while after seeing it. So like the impact palpable, but the ending doesn't feel as 
structurally sound as in the original movie, which itself is it's hard to defend for a whole different set of reasons. Yeah, I can't I can't in good conscience let War of the Worlds move on and I I absolutely adore it, <laughs> which is a hard thing. But um it it again it's a remake. It's a very very well realized remake. It taps into that horror aspect that I said Spielberg tapped into so greatly in AI. The scenes especially for a PG-13 War of the Worlds are just this is some of the meanest and nastiest and cruelest he has been in the sci-fi genre in his career and it ends up being smaller in scale and effect especially because as you said the kind of way it all wraps up it it ends about three or four beats too late and it brings a character back to life that should have been freaking dead that kind of takes a lot of the emotional impact away so it just doesn't stick the landing as well as some of his more classic movies does and I, I box a lot of Spielberg movies in together, and I box this one in Minority Report in together, and it's not just because of the Tom Cruise connection, um, which, and we'll get to Minority Report, but um, if I had to pick one of them to stay, um, War of the Worlds drops away every time. Well, it's funny because that whole Tom Cruise connection, like I said, my, uh, War of the Worlds is not Tom Cruise working at his best, but Minority Report might be pretty up there. That's That's a good... Anyway, that's our next movie, and I think we've all agreed to push War of the Worlds out. So, Minority Report, go go ahead. <laughs> yeah, uh, quick. I don't remember this one too well. Which one's this one again? So here's a here's a concept that I think is really important, right? Good sci-fi, not all of it, right, but a lot of good sci-fi can be easily structured around a single technology. It's you come up with an idea for a fictional technology and you create a world or a situation around it. Most great sci-fi can be attributed to this. This is like you think about Clark and Asimov, like most of their stories are built on this concept. Even something like Star Trek is basically only exists on the predication of faster than light technology. Like that's what anyway, point being Minority Report is a pure distillation of that concept because the technology is can see crimes before they happen. I thought Colin Farrell was in this one for some reason. Is he, he on is. this one? Okay. He is. I haven't seen this movie since it came out, and I only vaguely remember it, and I know a bunch of jokes have been made about it. But my point is that, okay, you come up with this fictional technology of, hey, what if the police could see a crime before it happened? Now build a world and a story around that is very palpable because the like the kind of connections you can make to real world you know, profiling and and certain like laws and stuff is very easily made. And so you can make a narrative and world around that very well. And minority report does Sounds like a vote from Axel. Yeah. Um, I I'd like to see minority report go through to the next round. It's um, it's Spielberg made this movie in secret. I don't know if you guys remember that, but um, he made it with the same crew and the same, a lot of the same sets, a lot of the same studio space as AI. It was kind of the leverage to get AI made was there'd be this Tom Cruise tentpole that would come out the other end with it. So he kind of filmed them all with the same budget as it kind of was. So Minority Report came out very quickly after AI and the trailers for it were released without anybody knowing he was making the dim. So it, it was kind of like a cool out. Steven Spielberg does Philip K. Dick is, you know, uh, a big deal. And they they did it in secret. And I remember seeing it in theaters. And again, it's it's just similar to AI. It's this kind of darker, grittier, more um more unsafe kind of a production. 
than even um, Tom Cruise or Spielberg were really doing at the time. And um, it's very unique. It doesn't fully work. Um, you know, it has that suspension of disbelief that you kind of have to have with movies like Face Off and things like that, where you have to kind of believe the technology to get by it. And it has a it has a thing involving Tom Cruise and his missing eyes being able to open a door to oh, sneak yeah. to sneak into okay, the company this one and now. steal the pre crime information. That unless there's someone on the inside that's kind of letting him, you if they have the society where everything is controlled by them being able to scan you. I think the first thing they would do is shut off your door access after you're a freaking criminal. But <laughs> again, that, that, you know, is what it is. I still love the hell out of the movie. And I think, um, I think it deserves to be argued aside. Some of the other ones we kept. All right. Uh, close encounters of the third kind. Um, I remember watching this movie a lot as a kid. And then I watched it when I was a bit older and I found it kind of boring and the ending's kind of problematic. I'm going to, I feel like I stole a lot of the description um, time from my nerd report from Chris. So I'll just let Chris take it and say that this one gets my vote because Close Encounters is one of those, like, it's in the cultural consciousness kind of thing. I don't think it will make it to the end, but it gets my vote for this. You know, Axel, I appreciate you giving it a vote. And after talking through a lot of these other ones um, that we've kept, God, I absolutely love Close Encounters of the Third Kind. But with keeping E.T. and keeping Minority Report, I, it, it's a really important movie. And, you know, the visual effects wise. But again, as, as I think um, Ulrich just said, it's kind of a more slow burn in terms of Spielberg. He's touched on these themes and other movies we've kept a lot more. Um, I think I think I'm going to I want to vote for it. But I think um, for sake of time and sake of I don't think it's going to make it to the end. I think we let Close Encounters drop away. That's fine. I accept that. It ends with and, a guy abandoning his family to go live in space. Uh, yes, I, and it's also yeah. uh, and and I also would like to say you can cut this part out. I I I love this conversation and want to keep going, but it is getting late for me. So I just and I don't want to rush you guys. I just want a reminder that you know. Um, well, that's why I I almost wondered if we would just end after the round one and we can come back and have a more detailed thing with uh, a, a set round two as a different. Video. I think we're going to have to. I think we'll finish out this round and split this in half. Are you guys okay want- with that? Because I I don't uh, maybe maybe real quick once we get to the end of the round one we go through the list again like one by one like we did at the beginning and just make sure there's none that we can just kind of agree to drop away just by talking through them. Yeah, I think you know? we'll do that. We'll finish this round, then we'll do a second pass. Like, okay, these ones obviously aren't going to make it, and then you'll have to join us for uh, part. Good, three. I because I think it deserves the time. I just don't want to. Uh, I don't want to rush you guys unintentionally. No, nah, I'm. Yeah, yeah, it's fine with me, man. All right, so Adventures of Tintin. I uh, never saw this. I had no interest in it, and I know who Tintin is, and I just, I, I, I couldn't care less. Dead air. Have you both not seen this? I saw parts of it. I didn't see the whole thing. Okay. Um, I, I want to talk about Tintin, um, if that's okay, for a quick second. Because I think I think you guys hit on something really important. So, um, Tintin. Okay. Tintin is not very known very well to Americans. I knew what Tintin was. Um, it seems like at least Ulrich knew what Tintin was. Um, I was aware of Tintin as like the original. Spielberg is in love with Tintin. And this was kind of a labor of love. The, the movie made bank overseas and made so little in the U.S. that it didn't end up being a hit. But there's something 
important for me about Tintin. And the important thing is when I bought it, because I saw it in the theater, I loved it, and then I bought it. And I went through every single special feature on this damn DVD. And it there was a spark in watching Spielberg on the sets making this movie that really resonated with me. It 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 elevated the movie. I already loved the movie, but the movie is basically him kind of doing Raiders again. A lot it hits a lot of the same beats as Raiders. Um Tintin is very similar. It has like a serial kind of background to Indiana Jones anyway. So that cuts in a lot. It was also a collaboration between Spielberg and Peter Jackson, and they were originally going to co-direct it. I believe they might have even co-directed it. I don't remember how it actually worked, but um, it was Spielberg's first time working in motion capture, which he did a lot of for Ready Player One. And man, to see the way that the people, the Weta folks that worked for Peter Jackson, they created this movie capture studio in like an old warehouse, and they brought Spielberg in. And the way he likes to direct, he's a very visual director. He likes to get behind the camera and see the shots. And there's no real cinematography in a motion-captured movie. So what they did was they created a pre-vis camera for him where he could move through the blue screen, green screen sets where the actors were doing the scenes and actually set up the shot that they would then have a moving camera in the 3D world that would go to the animator. And they would say, no matter what, you have to make your camera move the way that Steven picked the shots. This is the way he's storyboarding right now. And to see him giddy, he's like laughing and giggling and jumping around like a kid because he's getting to move a camera around in a fake world and pull off shots that would take so much time to stage with a real camera, but still having that kind of grounded in reality kind of visual style that he would bring to his movies. It, it's it's just an amazing the way the movie got made, and I think all of that comes through on screen for me. I want to I want to put forth that I love theater. I do. So no one get up in arms about this, but I am extremely biased towards static shots in television, movies, and animation, especially in animation. But that's for a whole another thing. So the, what you just described to me sounds extremely fascinating because again, I don't like static shots. I like a director who is very willing to play with their camera to figure out what the most effective way to convey whatever emotion for the scene is. So, so as adventures of Tintin moving on, I think, I mean, I have no interest. I, so I'm going to vote against it, but it sounds like you and Chris are on the same page. No, I'll, I'll vote against it because I don't have enough knowledge of it. I would say so. Well, actually, no, no. Let it, we're going to probably do this in multiple rounds anyway, so keep it up. I'm going to probably go see it before we finish up this conversation, and then I'll, I'll let you know. All right, so uh, catch me if you can. I've never seen this one. I know of it, but I just I haven't seen it. I saw it once. My main memory of it is it was super fun, and uh, it, you know it's basically like a less depressing Les Miserables. <laughs> so. I, know, I know it was based on a true story. That as I think that's my only real knowledge. And this has DiCaprio? Yes, DiCaprio and Tom Hanks. Okay, good combo. So catch me if you can. You know, we were talking about earlier about how there's movies you have to see in a theater and movies you don't. And comedies and a lot of dramas don't usually end up in the category of having to see on the big screen. Well, the amazing thing about Catch Me If You Can is that it falls into the same category with like Terminal and The Post and things like that that at their surface are very small from an um, impact 
type of Spielberg movies. But the difference with Catch Me If You Can to those is you said the movie's fun. The movie's an absolute blast. There is a playfulness in the way that this is filmed. It is an absolutely beautiful movie. The, the camera work, the movements of characters on screen, the framing of shots move almost like orchestral with the score. Um, a lot of the beats are very old fashioned, like crime chasey kind of things. And there's shots in this movie where like a guy will walk through a door carrying a gun and the camera will pan with the gun to another guy walking by the screen and then the camera catch that gun in the frame and the music beats will go along with it. And it's a story that didn't need to be filmed that well, but Spielberg and Janusz Kaminski, who's his constant collaborator um, from a cinematography standpoint, and the music from John Williams, this was back when we were thinking the Catch Me If You Can might have been one of John Williams' last scores. Luckily, that didn't happen, but at the time, it seemed that way. On top of the fact that it's just straight up like a comedy romp is, is all they really made. It's a true story, but they turned it into like this farce. And it's a genre that I don't think Spielberg's worked in often. And um, I like Catch Me If You Can being on the list because it's so unique in comparison to all the movies that he's made in that it's very slight and very silly and very flighty and not really childish. That's the other thing. It's in this category where he was kind of moving into the time with Munich and movies like that where he was getting a little more serious and adult in the tones. And so like DiCaprio, you know, um, screws over people and sleeps with a bunch of women and does these things that the guy really did that are usually kind of things that Spielberg shies away from in his movies that he kind of fully owns and makes seem fun in this that I, I really enjoyed it. It's just very different. And, um, I dig the hell out of it. And, um, Tom Hanks is great too. So it's, it gets a vote from me and it gets a vote from me. I think it's a solid say. So let's round out the list for the first round with duel. I have no idea what this is about. I have never heard of this, and I only discovered it when I was putting this list together. I'm actually in the same boat. So, so Chris, if you can deliver a good enough pitch, we can leave it on for the next round. But right now, me and Ulrich have no say or nothing to say about it. So, so Duel. Duel is super cool. Duel is unique on this list because Duel is the only film that remains on our list that was not a theatrically made film by Steven Spielberg. Duel was made for TV. It ended up getting a theatrical release, but it was one of his very early movies. I think it came right after Amblin and the Sugarland Express. Um, and Duel, it's again, it falls into those things where with Jaws and other things. It's the closest to a horror movie that Spielberg has really made. Um, that wasn't like Poltergeist or like The Twilight Zone, um, which you know weren't necessarily fully done by him. He did parts of The Twilight Zone, and it's assumed he directed Poltergeist. We won't get into that. Duel is a very simple movie. It's about a guy who pisses off a trucker. You never see the trucker driving the truck, but the guy is just systematically hunted and tormented by this trucker for the rest okay, of the Okay, I know this one now. I'll give and this one it is, This is an awesome, it is I've heard about this movie. Tense is all hell, and it has the, the other cool pedigree of the noise the truck makes at one point in the movie when something happens to it is one of the many sounds they layered in the explosion of Jaws at the end of Jaws. Because Spielberg likes to layer stuff. And both sounds were used in the T-Rex roar in Jurassic Park. So I always think find that really cool. Very, I love sound design kind of stuff. Du- Duel is very much worth seeing. It, it visually, yeah. it, it's, 
it's again, it's made for TV. So it has a kind of shot on tape kind of look to it. Um, and it's a very seventies movie, but man, when it's tense, it's tense. There's a scene where the guy runs out of gas and has to make it to the top of a hill and start falling, coming down the hill when the truck's coming. And it's just, it's just perfectly done. Um, it's just a hell of a flick. You know, I, I got to take just a quick segue moment to say, I know that in our current situation, our current day, there are some people, not even my peers, people younger than me, like newer generations, of people, I guess, who have a hard time with movies that are not up to a certain modern polish or television shows. And I really think that is disappointing. Like, let me put it, let me put it this way. I, when I first got together with my girlfriend uh, about seven years ago, one of the first things I was like, all right, you've never seen any Star Trek. We're going to watch Star Trek. And I started her off with Voyager because Voyager was like this very easy thing to get into and then worked back to Next Generation and up. But I, I held off on original series, which I love, but I knew that because like I watched Doctor Who and I watched old Doctor Who and I already knew that she couldn't. Like she can't get around how that looks, you know, whereas I can if I, I get into the story. So I would say that at least from my perspective, that's one of my biggest, I don't know what the word is, worries or disappointments or things that I like to be a proponent of is don't let how old something seems deter you from checking out a movie that might be like a great story or even like might be great within the confines of the technology they had. Like that might be one of the reasons it's interesting, like how Trek was on a shoestring budget and managed to create things like the transporter tech. Anyway, point being, you made me think of it when you mentioned dual looking like an older movie and then I can turn off some people. And I just want to be like, don't let it. <laughs> All right. So I think here here is resoundingly in. Yeah. Yeah. I, right. I'll, I'll watch that too before our next session. All right, so let's just make some easy cuts, and we'll call it the end of round one. Um, okay, easy cut. I'll get right up on this. We can cut Hook. I wanted to give Hook a proper because it's important to me, but I know it's not going to make to the end, so you can go ahead and cut that off. But I do. I yeah, do I was going to say I love Hook, but looking at what we have left, it, it is not going to stand amongst the others. Lincoln, I mean, I haven't seen it. It's give me, a great movie. Give me an opportunity. To see. If two of us haven't seen a movie, I think we should go see it before we... At least okay. one of us should. Do it. So, How about AI? Because it's a good movie, but that ending... I See, I think the ending's actually neat, so I don't think we should... All right, I think what we should focus on right now, actually, is this concept that Chris brought up of movies that fill a similar gap. So I think um, the rest of the movies on this list, we've, we've talked about at length, really. We'll talk about more later. But right now, for the last couple minutes of this... We should pin down the Raiders and Last Crusade conversation. Because uh, our will make it. I don't know. I think that's a much longer, deeper discussion. I have thoughts, serious thoughts on both. I don't know if we can cram that in. Here's here's what I'm gonna. I I, I think I think we can because um, I'm the fence one. It was you were Last Crusade and Chris was Raiders. And here's here's what I'm gonna say. If this was a conversation about like you know movie qualities. Uh, is a general conversation i think i would go i would lean towards last crusade i feel like last crusade uh is a better movie overall i think that the whole um it actually focuses less on indie individually isn't necessarily a bad thing i think it has kind of an ensemble going on that adds that right it's it's, it's a much more enjoyable film yeah but 
if the point of this little conversation is right to get to the end and get to what's important, let me put it this way. When you first show me the list, my initial thought is if I can only pick one Spielberg movie to survive, period, I might pick Raiders of the Lost Ark. I didn't think Last Crusade. So by that and how my brain works, I think Last Crusade being a more focused narrative, especially with its focus on one character, I think it comes out better, or at least more important to what it's doing, which is essentially bringing pulp of that type to the screen in a big way. So I will cast my vote in with Chris to pull Last Crusade off and let Raiders take the slot for what they represent. Here's the only thing. There's two real problems with Raiders. I love it. But one, Indiana Jones is unnecessary to the plot. And two, Raiders has implied statutory rape. Well, not even implied. There's statutory rape there. I don't know how you can say he's unnecessary to the plot when basically one Think of the about things Chris if, and I point is if, that it's mostly his vehicle. I know, but if you take Indy out of the plot, does anything different happen? I would argue yes. A lot different happens. <laughs> the Nazis the movie still find happen. the Ark. The Nazis' faces still melt. The end of the movie is still basically the same. I love it, but... I'm just, we got to take that into consideration. Okay, but even that consideration, I don't feel like qualifies for this particular conversation because the movie isn't about the end game of what happens to the world because the fictional world that Indy has represents that is in is supposed to basically be our world. And we know the Nazis didn't win. So there was really, when you watch Raiders, never, ever a question of will the Nazis actually get the arc. This is the Perry Mason thing where it's like you go in, at least I feel like you go in knowing, yeah, Indy's going to win. It's not if he wins, it's how he wins. And the entire movie is a vehicle for showing how awesome Indiana Jones and his life and this story is. So it's not about the end all or end game consequences of the actions of the movie. It's about the the pieces and the character, specifically the character of Indiana Jones, which is why taking him out makes the movie not exist. Okay, but let this be on your head. You are saying AI is a better film than Last Crusade. I am not saying that. I'm you saying, saying that... it is more deserving to no, be I'm not. on this list. I'm saying if that we're taking the... it off, we are de- we are deleting Last Crusade from the continuity. It never existed, but AI does get to continue to exist. No, no, because the the the, the qualifiers of this were that at the end only one of these movies gets to exist, and I'm saying that in this particular conversation, the whole Jurassic Park versus jaws distinction that raiders and last crusade are both accomplishing the same type of thing that ai is not by the way it's a very different thing that the one that should come out in the next round is raiders that's what i'm saying all right internet axel hates last crusade i love last crusade i like it more than raiders i just think raiders is more deserving you know know i can't throw this under the bus you know what no you're throwing me under the bus about ai so i will say this I think AI is more deserving to be on this list than Last Crusade, and that hurts me to say it. And do you know why? Do you know why? No. Because AI AI is an original property, okay. and Last Crusade is a sequel. Uh, I can I can get, I can, I can, I can you. All right, I, I feel comfortable now. That was actually a good point. And one other thing, if you put Last Crusade and Raiders up against each other, which we were we've been talking about, you know, the things about the movies that are similar, the things that work better in one than the other. I believe the mystery in Raiders of the Lost Ark is more interesting and takes longer to get to its reveal. So it kind of keeps you guessing about how much of this movie is just a guy chasing, you know, real world things and how much of it is supernatural. 
where Last Crusade kind of leans heavily into one pretty early. Oh yeah, sure, Raiders. Raiders didn't come I'm off. Have to play Devil's Advocate. It doesn't come off as supernatural until literally the last scene. <laughs> so no, that's fair. You're allowed to play Devil's Advocate. I was just you know this was a. Uh, Got a little little blood pumping. So <laughs> that was the idea. Like I said, that was the whole purpose. All right. So moving into part two uh, is Jaws, Raiders of the Lost Ark, E.T., Schindler's List, Lincoln, AI, Minority Report, Catch Me If You Can, Adventures of Tintin, and Duel. Oh boy, this next round's gonna be fun, folks. Well, the next round will be more focused because we'll have fewer movies to talk about. We originally were meant to do this all in one video, but we all love to talk so much. And it's a long <laughs> thing. So let's get through suggestions of the week and get Chris out of here. All right. I'm going to quickly do my suggestions because they'll be very quick, which are Shazam, Captain Marvel. I saw both last week. I probably don't need to tell anyone to see Captain Marvel because it's, it's a Marvel movie. And it's, you know, roughly the same quality, I'd say, of like Iron Man 1 or, uh, you know, Thor 1. It's a good origin movie. It's not quite as good as, like, the Captain America movies, but fun. I don't need to tell you to go see it. Shazam, on the other hand, I I'll put it this way. With DC, and we talked about the course correction because Aquaman and Wonder Woman were great. When I saw Shazam, my thought was, I don't remember the last time I saw a movie that so is perfectly encapsulated tonally by the trailer. Like, that's not saying if you see the trailer, there's no reason to see it. It's the opposite. I'm saying if you saw the trailer and you liked it, Go see the movie because you'll like the movie. I didn't even realize Shazam was out yet. We got early access. So. Oh, you lucky bastard! Anyway, that's all I want. I wanted to say about them. Like I said, it wouldn't take me very long, but I had a lot of fun with uh, both movies. Neither of them was like a masterpiece, but I was uh, I was glad Shazam was good because you know we talked about the DC at length, and this is another solid mark in the course correction. All right. Well, I'm going to talk about a couple books, and I'm going to speak mostly to the Warhammer portion of the audience because the rest of you this will be gibberish i'm going to suggest uh dark imperium and plague war by guy haley uh these are two books in the new continued universe where you know gilliman has returned it's they're a great couple of books because you get to kind of see how gilliman's dealing with the state of the imperium of man and he's really kind of angry and disappointed and it's really kind of cool to see his character shift from the Horus Heresy to this one. Also, Plague War has some amazing action and a really cool ending that kind of makes you go, wait a second, is the God Emperor walking again? What's going on? Is Plague War... So The first book uh, is Dark that... Imperium, and the second book is Plague War, and the third book hasn't been announced yet. Okay, but what is... So you said Robert Gilliman and Dark Imperium, right? And yeah. so what is the, then, the, the structure... Are these about specific Basically, wars then? Like, what's the plague war? In no, this is, well, it's sort of about uh, Gilliman's retaking. Uh, it's The first book is about his return and everything that followed, you know, after he kind of woke up and him coming to terms with all that. The second book is about him retaking. Uh, it takes place during the plague wars when Mortarian invaded and made it all a nasty, disgusting flu swamp. And it's all kind of building up to the big showdown between those two. It's mainly, it's, you know, following the whole story of the Plague Wars, but it's mostly showing how Gilliman is dealing with the return of the Imperium, is return to the Imperium, and how everyone views him as a holy god and son of the Emperor, and his revelations of his conversations with the Emperor. And like I said, there's a really kind of cool implied bit, I don't want to spoil, but basically it raises questions about the actual state of the Emperor. Oh, that makes sense, considering that Robert Gilliman is like... It's not Robert. It's, anyway, Robert Gilliman is like... 
Rubber to, yeah. He's basically Games Workshop's golden boy. So I resent that, but I will, that's another topic, another time. Anyway, Chris, how's it going? <laughs> okay. All right. What's your I just felt like being weird there. <laughs> I thought you might have fallen asleep on us. No, no, I didn't. I just, I just thought it would be kind of funny to like come back from from the Warhammer conversation. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, no, no uh, that was awesome. Warhammer actually, I, I it, no, it it sounds awesome. Actually, um, so my, my suggestions, um, I, I decided to do one that wasn't a movie. Um, but have you, either of you guys seen Us? I yes. so desperately want to. You did see Us, okay? So I want to suggest to everybody listening, even though everybody and their mother has already seen it, and by the time this releases, hopefully, even more people have seen it. That Us is awesome. Jordan Peele was not a one note pony in the horror genre. Um, if anything, he's gone bigger and broader and more um, swing for the fancy. And there's bits oh, of it that yeah. don't, there's bits of it that don't fully work for me, but the more I think about it, they work more. And it is just an amazing um, accomplishment of a movie and you should go and see it. The things people are saying about it are true. It's awesome. Um, I love how much of like an 80s style, like horror comedy slasher it ends up being for a large portion of its runtime. Um plus, I, I really enjoyed that. Plus it makes some decisions that I love. One decision that I thought was odd, but one that I, I love that I feel will be very interesting to talk about later. <laughs> right. And and without fully blowing anything, every single one of the main cast are doing dual work here. Um all of them have to um heroes and villains at the same time and in particular lapita nyong'o is you know has to be laurie strode and michael myers in, in the same movie and if she is not up for awards and does not win those awards there is going to be hell to pay because i have not seen a performance doesn't matter the genre from a person in a long time that was as good as this performance it was unbelievable. Yeah, I second what he said. <laughs> I still need to see it. I don't know if I'm out of a chance to just given how my theater works, but I'm really going to try. Yeah, it's it's real hard. I, I get to movies now by just going on lunch breaks at work. I, I will say, though, don't expect Get Out. It is a very no, different movie. I'm I While still being a horror movie, I don't think he could have made a movie that was more different than Get Out. Anyway, so uh, I, I, what do you have us for a, a non-movie? <laughs> so, so the other thing, and I may have talked about my love for the genre of ska on this podcast before. I don't know if I ever have. Um, I don't but, think so. Okay, in particular, American um, late 90s, early 2000s, third wave ska, as they call it. As but, a fan of the Money Money Boss Toads, I can yes. get on board with it. So um, I've, I, it's, it's my favorite guilty pleasure for music. It's my favorite genre of music. It's not, in my opinion, the best music that's ever been recorded. I like it because the live performance of it is always an absolute blast. For anyone that's ever seen a band like the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones or Less Than Jake or Real Big Fish, which is my, um, their newest album is my suggestion of the week. Um, the album's called Life Sucks, Let's Dance, um, and it's a blast. Um, they, they always play their music five times faster than they record it live. It's just a big party you will not not have a smile on your face if you go and see these guys. And every time I've gone and tried to see one of these shows for like the last four years, either me or my wife gets sick or something happens or, you know, we end up having a kid and we can't find someone to watch them, whatever. And I'm going to see them in June. I'm pumped. And um, I've been listening to their new album a lot again. 
and I highly recommend it. Um, it's a blast. All right. Well, this is the uh, portion of the show where we allow our guests to plug their content and tell you to go do what they say. Chris, what do you got for us? Ah, uh, yes. So um, those of you that are back listening to me, thank you for coming. Those of you that always listen to Geeks with the Shields, as you see, and I'm a patron of theirs, so you should be too. Um, they're awesome. I love being on this show, um, but I also love what I do. Um, I've had them on, um, you know, as well and plan to have them on again. Um, cause I think it's a blast. Uh, but Yay. recently, recently I've gotten some, um, some big guests. Um, I had Sandy Harding, the uh, general manager of the last blockbuster on the planet on my show, Talkbuster podcast. If you haven't heard that, please go check it out. It's fantastic. Um, it was a blast to talk to her. I don't know why she felt to give me the time of day, but she did. And I'm forever in debt to that because it got me a lot of visibility. Um, and they plan on coming back on the show um, every couple of months to kind of update the world on how they're doing through my show. So I think that's really cool. Um, also, if you've um, ever heard of the actor Mads Mikkelsen or heard of a film called Arctic that's in theaters right now, um, my friend Ryan from elementary school wrote, edited, and executive produced it. Um, and I had him on my show. Um, shooting the shit with Chippa to talk about that. Um, you can also find, uh, as always, the Chipman Brothers Tangent with my brother Movie Bob and Creating Geeks, um, which is a parenting podcast where we talk about sharing geeky stuff with our kids that I do with my wife. So please check out all those things. Please continuing being patrons of Geeks with Shields. And if you're not, get on it because they're doing good stuff. Thanks. All right. Well, thanks for coming on the show. We're definitely going to have you back on for part two. Uh, we always like having you on. You're a good guest. I'm sitting here in uh, a little bit of awe. So I love Mads Mikkelsen, so I'm going to probably go watch that after this. <laughs> it's fantastic. And remember, it's Arctic. There's another movie he's in that's on Netflix that has a similar title. It's called like Frozen or oh, Cold or it's not good and it's not Arctic. So don't watch <laughs> All right. I know that uh, eventually Chris's idea to have us back on was to do kind of a Reader's Digest thing on uh, Warhammer, who he doesn't know much about. And uh, Ulrich and I are both fans. Just, just put it, leave it there. So I look forward to doing that whenever we get around to it. <laughs> yes, you know, War Warhammer 101 for Chris. That That's the idea. We have a series called that. Anyways, uh, it's getting late. So thank you all for listening. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe, specifically the share part, because, listen, that's the only way anyone's ever going to discover this podcast is if people share. And as Ulrich always says, the more people that see this, the more we grow, the more we grow, the more we can do. We're on a pretty good kind of growth tangent lately, and we'd like to see it keep going. It's been good. And, of course, a big part of that has been SoundCloud, which now we have every episode we've ever made there. We don't have to upload and then take off pieces anymore because of the patrons, who we have nothing but thanks for and, and gratitude and other words that are synonymous with that that we are sincerely feel feel like that was maybe pushing a little too much. Anyway, <laughs> if there's any other platform that you'd like to listen to us on, I know some of my friends have mentioned they listen to things on like Podbean or stuff, stuff like that. If there's one that generally you like and you would like us to be there to make it easier for you, for instance, let us know so we know what platforms to look into. As always, this has been Lord Commander Ulrich. And his shield brother, Axel Wright. Be sure to tune in next time. And as always, stay honorable.